think it was on Saturdays that we went for confirmation studies. Yeah. But I really didn't understand what was going on. I mean, the instructor, and we really didn't ask any questions. I was brought up to the way you just sit there, be quiet and listen. You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable podcast, episode 58, a frank conversation with a former Catholic. In ministry, we all know how hard it can be to get a practicing Catholic to commit to a weekly Bible study, youth group, or service project. How much harder is it to reach out to those who don't actively practice their faith or someone who's left the Catholic faith altogether? A few weeks ago, I spoke with a man named Frank, a former Catholic. He candidly shared with me his personal experience with Catholicism and the reasons he left the faith. Between his thoughts, Alan and I talk about what we can learn from him and how we can apply his experiences to improving our ministries. In order to reach people, we need to know their story. And Frank's conversation is a perfect example of that. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Happy Easter. I love being Catholic. It's not just a day. It is a season. We celebrate the Easter season. So although it's been a week or so since you've heard our podcast last, if you're tuning in, it's still the Easter season. So happy Easter, Marisa. How's it going? Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Indeed. He is risen indeed. How's it go? <laughs> I think it's Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He's risen indeed. Okay. In my house, we just say, hallelujah, Christ is risen. And the response is, word. <laughs> word. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course. That makes, or peace. That would make sense. Darn straight he is. He has. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. So, we've been talking about um, evangelization and talking with people and how to get their story out of them and the importance of hearing the story and allowing them to, to give their story. And Marisa happened to have a conversation with someone who was working in our office one day. And um, we would love to just bring that conversation to you. I think there's a lot that we can glean from it. But first, Marisa, I believe we have some listener feedback. Well, thanks for asking, Ellen. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have had um, actually a good number of people have been emailing us lately, which is just really nice because we don't want this <laughs> to be unheard. Um, we don't want it to be unhelpful. And so when we hear that people are here and that it's helping them, it just really um, brings us great joy and also just lights a fire, keeps us going. So um, if you have time and just a second, even if it's a one-liner, we would just love to hear from you. Um, recently, we heard from Wadesta, Wade for short. And she said, podcast crew, the most recent episode is brilliant. She's talking about make Catholic formation holistic again. This is touching on so many parts of the faith that were embedded and rooted in the culture we built. Forget about the church teaching. If we can't get being human correct, it is all in vain because that is the essence of how we connect to the world at large. I think this is a critical piece missing in parish life across all categories. The part that has indeed wounded me the most about the church is the disconnect with the people who work for the church and those who are the, who are the church in the world. The parishes act like Sunday bread lines and shuffle us along as such, not even being able to get the community to connect with each other. There is no cross-pollination, idea sharing, or good conversations that are deeply connected to who we ought to be in the world in response to our faith. Um, thank you so much, Wade. And then we also heard from Mary in response to our conversations with Father Philip Bochanski from Courage. Um, she said... Dear friends at Ascension, your two Ascension Roundtable podcasts with Father Philip Bochanski were tremendous. Regarding the subject of friendship for persons with same-sex attraction, 
Dr. John Kutback, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, is a terrific resource that could be recommended. And then she gives us some links that we are going to actually add into our show note links. Just some great, great resources to help with that idea of forming good Christian friendship. So thank you so much, Mary, for sharing that with us and with your fellow listeners. Yeah. There you go. Father Philip Bochanski, what a great segue into our topic today. <laughs> I guess it's not really a segue when you say segue. That kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and we are transitioning. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to transition smoothly with a segue. Um, Father Philip Bochanski, he was talking about the importance of validating someone's story and validating the listener and where they're coming from. Um, Thomas Smith, he's a smart guy. He is author and co-author of some of our programs and multiple books. He also talks about, in our in our podcast with him, he talks about um, the charisma and evangelization and the, um, the need to allow someone to give their story. And so, Maurice, let me ask you, how did this come to be that we have an interview with a guy named Frank who, how did, we, how did you get him to sit down on the air <laughs> and give his story? Okay, so a little backstory. Um, so yeah, so we're going to share with you a conversation with a man that we met once uh, who came into our office. He was working on the ducts um, in Pennsylvania here where we have our lovely studio. And so he was. He came into the office, and it's kind of obvious that we're a Catholic company when you come into the office because uh, for a very long time there was a large reliquary <laughs> right when people walked in um, with a bunch of different relics and not to mention the religious imagery around the office. And so um, he walked by um, my production assistant, Christina, and he said, uh, what's this, what is this company? You guys are Catholic? And she said, yeah, we produce different um, Catholic media and different Catholic resources. And he said, you actually believe that stuff? <laughs> and she said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and at that point, she was kind of taken aback. Um, he was pretty forward in that. And she, they exchanged words briefly, and then he had to go on with his work day, and she went on with her work day. Um, at that time, I wasn't in the office. I came in a little later, and they were telling me about this. And I said, oh, it would be kind of neat to just sit down and ask that guy where he's coming from. And we, I think we had just recently had the interview with Thomas Smith where he encouraged us to just ask people their story as kind of the first step of evangelization, that it's not about going out and talking, it's about listening first. And so <clears throat> I'm all eager and thinking, gosh, what would be so neat? But I was such a wuss and I was not about to go out and find him uh, who had, he had moved on to working on another office. I wasn't going to go find him and ask him. So I, um, <laughs> I enlisted one of my bolder uh, colleagues and who was had no problem going down and being like, hey, would you mind... Like, would you sit down and talk with us for a minute? And so, anyways, he agreed, Frank, and he came in and he had a very frank conversation. <laughs> uh, I didn't plan the pun, but it, it just works really well. Um, and yeah, I just sat down and I just, I made, I committed myself to just listening and asking questions and um, trying to make him feel like I understood what he was saying um, and not taking any sort of kind of combative or apologetic stance, but really just hearing him out. And so we recorded it and we wanted to share that with you because we think that it can just be a good reminder to hear. Um, sometimes we, we hear from the choirs or we make guesses or assumptions about where people are coming from. Um, but I think this is a, a, just a good real look at somebody who experienced the faith as a kid and has since had kind of a rocky relationship with the church. So without further ado, here's Frank. 
my name's Frank. I'm 62 years old. Uh, I was born in upstate New York, and I was raised in northeastern Pennsylvania in the coal mining region. Okay. And that's where religion was really strong. Yeah. Because you have a lot of, a lot of your uh, East Europeans that came there. What was it like, I guess, as a kid growing up? Uh, where was your Catholic faith involved in that? Was it uh, strictly through my mom? Yeah, my mom. Right, she's a churchgoer. You know, uh, I remember when we moved back up to no, uh, northeastern PA, we stayed with her mother. She was Polish. She didn't speak English. Mm-hmm. Didn't know how to write or anything. Mm. So I imagine her mother was very religious. Because my mom was. Right. I mean, she wasn't one to push anything on anybody, but he definitely went to church on Sunday. Good Fridays, no meat. That was pierogi day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Not too shabby, right? No. And my dad, he wasn't a churchgoer. Mm. You know, uh, I think he believed, but he just wasn't that type to go to church. But my mom did give the envelopes for him, too, on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> like, good. And so... Um, so you grew up going to CCD and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I uh, had received First Communion and then uh, Confirmation. Mm-hmm. Yes, I went to the training. But I still, I didn't understand. Like, I think it was on Saturdays that we went for Confirmation studies. Yeah. But I really didn't understand what was going on. I mean, the instructor, and we really didn't ask any questions. I was brought up to the way you just sit there, be quiet, and listen. Mm. That's the way I was brought up. Yeah. And the nuns would be teaching. And uh, I really didn't understand a lot of this stuff. They just went like right through it. Mm -hmm. And as far as I remember, I don't think any of the other kids in the class asked any questions. Mm. You know. So it was just accept this. Exactly. This is this is right. So just take it. Exactly. Exactly. Do you remember any time where you uh, doubted or as a kid where you were just. No. Skeptical. No. No, that wasn't allowed. Ah. That wasn't allowed. What, you know, as far as going to church on Sundays, like, uh, all I remember is the the priest would go through the rituals. Yeah. And then he would speak for a while, mm-hmm. you know. So it was just more or less quoting from the Bible and yeah. you know, that. That's all I remember. But it, the most part I remember is, is all the rituals. Wow. So I have met so many people who have had a similar experience, a similar story of I used to be Catholic, but or I used to be Catholic, and, and it's hardly ever something about the church that they disagree with or didn't like. It's normally an experience they had, or they just kind of drifted away. They didn't understand what they did when they were in CCD and the things they did growing up. They just kind of went through the motions. They never understood what it was they were doing, and eventually they just kind of drifted away. Mm-hmm. Um, he, it's such a stereotype. I hate to say stereotypical. Everybody's, everybody's experience is different, but... I've heard that that experience is not uncommon, and I think mm-hmm. that's really sad that that happens in the church, that we yeah. miss these opportunities to um, not just talk about God and talk about Christ, but actually introduce people to the person of Christ and, and, and encourage them to have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things that he said stuck out to me in listening to it again. And one was that he talked about his mom received her faith from her mom and then tried to pass it to him. But that it stopped. And I don't know about his siblings. I don't know if his siblings still practice. I'd probably ask him more about his family if we were to have a second conversation. But it just struck me that he actually included that his dad wasn't a churchgoer. That wasn't his thing. And just how it's it's wonderful to have um, a faith-filled mom. And my dad had the same situation where he was cult- cultural Italian, where 
the husbands, the fathers, it just wasn't part of their MO to practice. Um, they weren't really part of that. And I think it's the exception um, that that faith continues to be transmitted um, when there is a little, there's a lack of, of the father's buy-in. Mm-hmm. Um, it speaks loudly. It spoke loudly enough for him to actually have offered that piece of information without me asking for it. And then also just that he felt like he wasn't ever allowed to doubt or ask questions. Um, I think maybe we swing to the opposite side. I know when I was a teacher, I was always encouraging my students to ask questions and express their doubt. Um, And sometimes I think I might have done that a little bit too much, too aggressively, um, and encouraged a little too much skepticism. But at the same time, um, you know, I think this shows like you have to have if if somebody feels like they were never allowed to doubt, then they feel like they're being it's a totalitarian regime that's just <laughs> yeah. spitting out propaganda. <laughs> um, and it seems like he has a very institutional just from this. It seemed like he had a very institutional kind of experience of the church. Hmm. That's funny. I have the same fear of raising my kids that I'm going to encourage them too much to doubt. And not, not that I encourage them to doubt, but I, I don't discourage it. And so it's fine. Like ask, ask questions. Like don't just take it because I said so in, in this case, like why? Like let's, mm-hmm. we can talk about it if we're searching for truth and this is the truth. There's nothing to be afraid of. Right. You know, and there's, there's really no question that hasn't already been thought about yep. by really smart people. Yep. But getting that out to people um, that one, it's okay to ask the questions, and two, that there are answers to be found. I think that um, I think that that's a big part of evangelization. Um, you know, maybe a later, depending on what the questions are. You know, that that, that might fall at different stages, but um, but yeah, people have thought through this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, people are way smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. I'll... <laughs> Just I'm just not saying much, but <laughs> um, yeah. So. So that was his younger life. Um, And then in this next clip, we're going to share a little bit uh, of him talking about when he went off to the military and how that uh, movement beyond his immediate Polish community kind of gave him more to think about and um, more to contrast his experience with. Yeah. So so you graduated from or you went through CCD and confirmation and all of that. Still went to church in high school. And then you went to the military. Yes. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about how your experience in the military gave you some different perspectives. All right. Well, you know, you meet people from all over the country. So I made some friends with with a few guys, and they happened to say, hey, you want to go to church with us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I didn't know it was Presbyterian. So I went, and uh, it's totally different. I think the Presbyterians or Baptists, whoever they are, Mm -hmm. I lumped them all the same. (laughs) They're non-Catholics. Yeah. But I think they're more community involved Mm. and more— and bring it down to the individual level mm. and not as much ritual. Yeah. I mean, they, they speak the gospel and they speak, you know, about God and Jesus. But I, I think they're, they're more to the individual level. Mm. And, and I like that a lot better than what the Catholics do. Do you think you had a totally different perspective of who Jesus is when you went to the Presbyterian church? Uh, no, no, no. Not even then. Uh, years later... I was stationed in Alaska, and you know it gets pretty cold up there. <laughs> I can imagine. So, and I love to read books. I actually, I was up there for two years. I actually read the Bible twice, mm. and I had a better understanding of everything. Yeah. What motivated you to read the Bible? 
uh, I don't know. It just comes across to you. Yeah. You know, it's just, I mean, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, but I just went a little in depth just to find out more on my own. Yeah. You know, so well, I got a better understanding. Yeah. So in this clip, he, um, what really stuck out to me. So he kind of goes back and forth between his time in the military and, and then he jumps to his time in Alaska. But, um, one of the things that struck me was that his first thing that he says about the Protestant service is that it was community driven. And he keeps saying it came down to the individual level. Um, and I think kind of maybe a, um, a word there, maybe more personal level, um, which is a complaint that you hear a lot of people, Catholics who go and they join a Protestant service. That's what they've experienced. Um, but again, it's not something that Catholics can't, you know, it's not that it's not part of the Catholic tradition. It's just that it's part of the Catholic tradition that maybe we've lost <laughs> or that we're not exercising very well currently in a lot of our parishes. Um, so that was kind of one of the first things that stuck out to me. Hmm. I just want to say that I think if you had stopped him and tried to correct him about some of his misperceptions about the church, he probably would not have continued this conversation. And the fact that you didn't, you just kind of let him talk like, like there's some things he said that you could have easily stopped and said, well, Frank, you know, that's not what we actually believe. And I mean, it probably would have just shut him down. And I think that, um, like, listen to this, it was good for me to hear that and know that it's okay to, for somebody to say something that's not necessarily true. You don't have to correct them in the moment. Like, it's mm-hmm. really about hearing their story. And if you start to to kind of want to jump in every time and apologize about something or, or correct something, they're not going to continue their story and you're not going to hear it. And it's not going to build that re- the rapport and that relationship. And, and that's so essential and so critical to um, evangelization. So I just want to say kudos to you for for how you just kind of let him let him go and let him talk. Yeah. I mean, I had to say it was like, it was hard for me. I was holding back. I was definitely holding back and not everybody has the luxury of having to listen to themselves in a conversation like this after it happens. <laughs> but there are still things like I listened back to this interview a few times and I'm like, Oh gosh, Marisa, why did you say that? Or that, you know, I would have, I would have gone in a different direction or I would have asked this follow-up question. Um, but you can't live your life in retrospect. And one of the things that I, um, I, I really learned from the Father Philip Bochansky conversation was that he talked about the Emmaus. Um, actually, the, that gospel was just a, read a couple of days ago. Um, the gospel where Jesus meets the um, apostles on the road and they're talking to him and they're like, are you the person, you know, have you never heard of this? And they're like giving him incorrect information about something he already knows. And um, he just lets them kind of express their experience and express where they're coming from. And he doesn't correct them, but later he breaks bread with them. And that's when they recognize who he is. And it's in the experience of community that they encounter him. It's not in that initial conversation that they're having. He kind of walks along with them far enough to where then they're like, Hey, let's invite this guy to have dinner with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And if he had jumped in and tried to (laughs) argue with them or convince them then they might not have been comfortable enough to invite him to dinner. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's something that I, I'm i more committed to right now, just personally, is not being afraid to let, listen to people before interjecting my own ideas or experiences or beliefs. That's good stuff. All right, so next is, if I remember correctly, is uh, one of the experiences that he has that um, kind of leaves a, a sour taste in his mouth. So... Um, let's listen to this next section. Well, you, let's back up. You mentioned when we were t- talking um, earlier that you you had a, a 
a friend, I guess, who went through an annulment process? Yes. I was stationed in Fort Raleigh, Kansas back in the uh, late 80s. Mm -hmm. And one of my squad leaders, uh, he was married prior to that for about a year, but it didn't work out, Mm -hmm. you know. So then a few years later, I didn't know him back then, Mm -hmm. but then uh, a few years later, this was when I came in the picture, he met a nice lady back home. I think it was from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to get married in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Well, for that to happen, he had to get his first marriage annulled. Mm -hmm. So he had to pay the church Mm $5,000 for them to give his blessings. And Mm -hmm. I says, what's wrong with this picture? Mm. I did the God come down from heaven and say, this is what you're going to charge. Mm-hmm. I couldn't understand that. Was that the first time where you really saw the church having a big impact on somebody's day-to-day experience? Uh, I, I can't really say that at this point because I'm trying to think this yeah. was quite a few years yeah. ago, but that really did have a big impact on me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It really did. And but, it made you think why... Why would God, you know, is God charging $5,000? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I just couldn't understand that. I know I, I might be wrong on this, but I think, well, the Catholic Church back then really didn't think, uh, didn't believe in the divorces, I believe. You know, it was a totally different, I know in my mother's time, when you're married, you're married, especially mm-hmm. where I came from, whether it was a good marriage or bad marriage. Mm-hmm. It was it was a sin to get divorced. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way I was brought up. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's the way the culture was back then. Yeah. Because everybody up there was either first, second, or even third generation immigrants. Yeah. You know? So, and they, and they you know, they were really believed in the church. Mm-hmm. You know? So, it was, a, it was a totally different upbringing than what it is today. Yeah. You know? Would you—do you think that— um like, so now divorce is much more common. This oh, is yes. kind of a tangent. I'm divorced myself. Are you? 27 years. Okay. So that that is even your own experience in seeing the church. And like, if you were to put yourself in your friend's place, you know, that would have been a messy situation for you had you been in. Yeah, I don't think I would have paid him $5,000. Yeah. Do you I think probably, you would have just said, I'm, I'm done? Well, if, if the lady, you know, whoever... You know, says we really want to get the, ch- you know, you want to get married to church. I say, okay, pay the five grand because I'm not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I, yeah. I'm not trying to be funny because mm. I don't see the reason behind it. Yeah. You know, the Catholic churches, I, they were rich back then, and I'm sure they are now. Mm. See, that's the other thing. Uh, I never knew that they. Uh, it's like the, you got. I always Protestants, I'll call them. They're always running charities mm-hmm. for, for needy families or, yeah. or uh, food banks. I never saw that from the Catholic Church mm. growing up. Mm. You know what I mean? Never saw that. Mm. So you're thinking you're taking money from people who really need it themselves. Yeah. And like I remember this when I was a kid. I don't know. I might have been 11 years old. The church, you know, they give the bulletins every Sunday. Mm-hmm. At the end of the year, they start all the parishioners that belong to that church. They they posted their names and how much they gave to the church that year. Mm. I think mm-hmm. that was wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you know you have people with money and people right. without money. And I came from a poor family. Right. And I think that was kind of insulting. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. So again, there's some things he says that are um, maybe not accurate about the church, but his experience is valid. His experience is what he experienced. And so you, by you not um, correcting him and, and even um, siding with him, like you, you t- empathizing with him and taking, not taking a side, but you empathizing with him and understanding where he's coming from allows him to continue to just um, be open and explore 
um, tell more about his journey as he was um, going through the the Nolan process with his friend and 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 the bad taste that the church charging five thousand dollars left in his mouth and and all that. Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me was that it um, he started off talking about his friend, but he ended up talking about himself, mm-hmm. and it was as if this guy's experience of being um, asked to pay $5,000 for the annulment kind of opened up, reopened a wound that he had from his childhood. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a stretch, but it seemed like the real thing that he was getting at was that this pain of, of maybe when he was a kid, like his family didn't have the money to give to the church. And so um, there was maybe shame or embarrassment there um, or a sense that why isn't the church helping my family. And again, I'm, I'm speculating, but, um, but I, I definitely think that a lot of times when people say, Hey, like, look what's happening out there, what the church is doing to those people uh, more often, I think there's, they're pointing that out because they have some sort of personal experience that that resonates with, and it reminds them of their own pain. Um, and so, I mean, if one of, if I were to have a follow-up conversation with them, I would, probably want to ask a little bit more about that um, and maybe even talk a little bit more about what the church has been doing and um, just sharing some of the good work that's happening. Yeah. Cause one thing is for sure. You're not going to convince him otherwise in the moment just then. So there's, there's really like, what's the point of, of trying to make that point? It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. In this next clip, he, um, <laughs> he talks about how, um, he talks a little bit about his childhood experience of confession and he kind of talks about how he, um, he kind of takes what he wants from the hmm. faith and leaves what he doesn't want. So here he is sharing a little bit about that. I hope I don't sound too negative about the Catholics, but it's no. just, I still respect the religion. Yeah. I, I believe in some of the stuff, but I don't believe in all of it. Yeah. It's like confession. Yeah. I remember as a kid, you know, you had to go to confession if you want to get communion. Mm-hmm. So I did that Saturday. And that afternoon, I was out playing with my friends, and I told a lie. Mm. So that Sunday, I went to church, and my mom says, well, how come you're not coming up to uh, get uh, uh, the host or the communion? The, yeah. Communion. Yeah. I says, I told a lie yesterday. See, that's faith. Mm. In, in you know, run your religion there. So. Mm. But today, I, I think differently. Why should I have to tell my sins to a man mm. when I he's no better than I am? Mm. And to be honest with you, if I have a troubling time that something's really bothering me mm. or something, what I do now is at nighttime, I'll go in the backyard and look up in the sky and I'll talk to the sky. Mm. I remember I did that when, when I first came out of the army. I stayed with my mom for a bit until I got back on my feet. And I was out in the backyard talking. I talk out loud. And yeah. my mom thought I was crazy. <laughs> what are you doing out there? The neighbors think you're crazy. I said, I'm talking to God. Yeah. And that's what I do. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't talk to another man. I mean, something on that nature. Mm-hmm. When I want to be close. Mm-hmm. And if I want to talk to God, I go in the backyard at night and look in stars. Yeah. I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not crazy. No, you're not crazy. Yeah. I'm trying to remember back. I think that's the way, as a youngster brought up as a Catholic, is you don't really talk to God as on on a personal level. I think mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. It's mm-hmm. more or less there's a distance between you. Mm-hmm. You know. So what struck me about this little portion was how he was acknowledging the fact that we're all. St- 
so hardwired for a relationship with our creator. And he may not know how to express that, but he was, what I was hearing him say was he just wanted, he didn't need to talk to, he didn't need to go through a ritual. He didn't need to go through a person. He could just go in the backyard and just talk to God um, and how it, like you said, yes, you can, you do that, you do that too. And I do that too. But what he's expressing is this need for the personal relationship with our creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he keeps saying throughout this interview, he says it again, another time, just that, um, like, how could you not believe that there's someone bigger than you? How could you not believe that? And it seems like that's really what he, he's not, uh, a nun, you know, N O N E. he's not, um, he's not someone who has no spiritual impulse. He's not completely secular. Um, you know, who knows what, what he is, in, you know, in his life or whatever, but he has this intrinsic sense that there's someone or something bigger than himself and that everybody else should believe that too. Um, and it sounds to him that he, he views the ritual um, and the tradition as some sort of barrier to that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think if I were to go back and talk to him more about this, I would, I would meet him in that and say, it can be, I mean, it can be if you're honest. Um but it also can be an incredibly powerful relationship builder, you know, the mm-hmm. sacraments and all of that. And so, um, I don't know, just just trying to maybe I would share how for me, the sacraments have helped me develop that deeper personal relationship and have less of a distance instead of more of a distance. Um, yeah, that was for me, too. That was the um, <clears throat> that was the big takeaway for me from this little segment too, was the fact that when I'm either talking to my kids or talking to teens or, or anyone for that matter, but, but especially working in ministry, when I'm talking to somebody about the sacraments and about the ritual to really connect those dots for people like we're doing this because, and mm-hmm. this is, this is in order to bring us closer to and, and, mm-hmm. and really connect those dots. Cause somewhere along the line, I'm sure that he was told something about them, but it didn't, something didn't connect for him. And so he yeah. never really, like it's not, it's probably not his fault, you know, it's just, right. just poor catechesis somewhere. Um, it's the, it was the CCD teacher's fault. That's whose fault it was. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it, I mean, I, he talked about that confession experience, the memory of confession and how he went to confession and then afterwards told a lie. And because of that, he didn't receive communion the next day. So there you see, there's, there was some sort of internal sense that was there. He was convicted. Um, yeah. At least he was afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so he, he learned. It just, it, it was not something that, that seems to have made him feel, yeah, connected. Mm-hmm. So um, in this next segment, he talks a little bit more about um, how there's someone, how, how he doesn't understand how you can't believe there's someone greater than you out there. Uh, he also sums up what he thinks religion's about, but um, kind of in an interesting way. So um, here here you go. I want to go back to something you said. You said that in your experience of some non-Catholic faiths, that community seemed really important. Right. What made you feel that way when you went with your friends? Well, it's just the way the pastor or whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. it's just the way he talks. I mean, he, he brings everyday living Mm-hmm. into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just not all the rituals, you know, he's talking about everyday life yeah. struggles, Yeah, you know, and everybody goes through, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes he, you talk to other people, they don't have the answer, mm-hmm. you know, so you, 
you know there's something bigger than all of us here. Yeah. That's why I don't believe in the non-believers. Mm. How could they not believe that there's something greater than us? Yeah. Somebody or something had to create this, you know? Mm. So, but you need that. And, and the way the pastor, they just struggles from day to day. They talk to the people about mm. that. You know, mm-hmm. and to me, that's more down to the individual base. And that's, I think, what religion is all about mm-hmm. is helping each other mm-hmm. instead of killing each other. <laughs> I know? agree with you. there. And I think that's what religion is all about is helping each other mm-hmm. and living a good, clean life. Mm. You know? Yeah. And having that relationship, it seems like that having a relationship with God, not just going through motions, it seems like that's yeah. something you value too. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, sometimes you just need to talk mm-hmm. and talking to another person just doesn't get it, mm. you know, and you you just letting out your soul. Mm-hmm. So for all the priests that are listening or deacons or bishops, I just wanted to point out the fact that he says that when he goes to a Protestant service, he the preacher's able to connect the sermon to his everyday life. And we have such a great opportunity in the mass to do that during the homily. And I know that the mass is not a Protestant service. and There are two different things and I'm comparing apples and oranges here, but I just want to make a note that at the mass, there is a section where there is a homily and what a great opportunity it is to really speak to the people and to share some personal stories and things to make it very relatable to um, the people in a pew. Um, I know that priests are very busy during the week, but I think that there's a um, such a great opportunity there that we should devote some time to creating that message and crafting it from around something personal from the priest so people connect to the priest, connect to the story, connect to the homily, connect to the gospel. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the part um, two in that segment that I kind of wanted to just hit on real quick is when he says... Um, Religion's about helping each other and living a good, clean life. And it's kind of like he summed it up and he's like, this is it. But I kind of felt like he was almost um, contradicting himself a little bit there, which, I mean, I do that all the time in conversation with somebody. And that's one of the values of having conversation because you can start to think through how you feel about something and your thoughts. Um, you can think through your thoughts. but <laughs> Out loud. Out loud. <laughs> Um, and then listen to them. And then if you record if you yourself. Record them, listen to them. <laughs> but he talks about that. And that? this is after he's already talked a bunch about relationship, uh, wanting to feel connected to God. And so he kind of here gives a very boiled down, almost like secular view of what religion is or what he thinks. He says, this is what religion's about. Um, helping each other and living a good, clean life. And it's not like that's... I don't know. It seems like he also really values that that personal relationship with God, I thought. It and wasn't he, quite so simple. And he said he would definitely have last rites when he... Oh, yeah. We haven't bed. listened. Oh, that's coming up? It's spoiler oh, spoiler alert. alert. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, so in this next section... <laughs> Frank's no, gonna... it's not even in the next section. You got to keep, keep listening. In the next oh, section, shoot. we ask him what he would say to the Pope. So here's what he would say. If you could say one thing to Pope Francis, or just, I mean, the Pope, yeah, about something you'd like to see changed, what would you say? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, well, I'd be more open, uh, open and honest, especially about the uh, shenanigans that were going on with the priest years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, be forthright about it. Mm. Don't cover up. 
Hmm. Be honest. And that's what the people want. They want hmm. honesty. Because mm-hmm. actually, when you cover up, you're lying to the people. Right. You and that's just undermines. And you are supposed to be the the religious leader of the world, of the Catholics. Mm-hmm. So if you can't be honest with your people, there's a problem. Well, that's not too much of a shocker. I think a lot of people left the church or they kind of parted ways because of that. Um, but I think there's something to be said for just having more, um, having more transparency and priests and bishops and, and the leaders of the church just not being afraid to admit that they are imperfect, broken people in need of redemption and need of a savior. So mm-hmm. um, I think that that would go a long way with a lot of people to see the leaders, um, leaders of our faith recognize their need for redemption. Yeah, what struck me was how he still views the Pope as the religious leader in the world, in spite of the fact that he no longer goes to Mass and, and would go to a, a Protestant church first before a, um, a Catholic church. And that's not the only thing that he has that has stuck with him from his childhood, as we'll hear in this next section. I Okay, so my one last question, this is kind of going to put you on the spot, but if there was anything that could get you back through the doors... Mm. What would it be? Well, oh, get a little closer there to your mic. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. That's all right. Uh, well, I was going to do my uh, my Christmas duty, as they call it. Yeah. Every Christmas you go to church, but to go every Sunday, I don't know. If I was going to go back to church full time, I think it would be probably on the Protestant level. Yeah. It's more community oriented, mm-hmm. and it seems more friendlier. that's just me. Yeah. No, I'm not. Trust me. I have been to some Catholic churches that make you feel like they'd rather you not come. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's very impersonal. Yeah. You know, and I, whereas on the, the other faiths, uh, well, I mean, Protestant, I don't Mm -hmm. know nothing about Jehovah Witnesses or Latter-day Saints. I don't know if they're all in one the same. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. they make it more on the personal level, Mm -hmm. like you're welcome. Mm -hmm. And it's like they're talking directly to you. Yeah. And there's a room full of people. Right. And that's the big thing there because people go to church and they want to feel good and they want to feel that you care, mm-hmm. you know? So if if a Catholic church was going to get you in the doors and say that they would have to be more of that. Uh, yeah, I would say so. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to my time, when I'm through here, I probably have a Catholic priest say my, mm. my things and give my last rites probably. Yeah. Probably. Why yes. is that? Tradition. Yeah. It's the way I was brought up. And I think my mom would want that too, even yeah. though she's not here. Yeah. I think my mom would want that. So the Catholic in you would die hard. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's not really, I'll, it's a love-hate relationship. I'm not really hate, but it's that yeah. type, give and take. Yeah, I gotcha. I take what I, I think I needed and I leave the rest. So I hope that you had a little chuckle at the part where he said, uh, when everything's said and done, I'll have a priest at my funeral. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and again, not to make light of what he says, it's like, I think there's that um, sense of, hey, like, I still recognize that all that tradition, all that ritual, it means something that uh, it's not, can't quite detach myself entirely from it. In the most important moments of life, it seems like yeah, that might be what he comes back to that even the community of a Protestant church uh, still wouldn't cut it for something that uh, important. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause if he wants to go back and, and, and hear something that's applicable to his life or be 
I'd say put words in his mouth, but say be entertained, but something more engaging, more engaging. There you go. But when it comes down to those like literal life and death, the serious moments in life, he's like, but I will have the last rites. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, again, I think that's, he says that, you know, that's what my mom would like, but um, I don't know. I got the sense that it was a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does make the point that he, if he were to go back full time to, to church every Sunday, that he would probably go to a Protestant church. And um, and the reason that he gave for that was the community and the personal experience, the sense that yeah, he, he said, he used the word feeling. And I know sometimes we can look down on that as like, oh, your faith is just about feelings. But um, kind of like how we talked about with the holistic ministry, or the holistic formation that, every, you know, what we do really should uh, involve the affectivity of of person. It it's not just about the head. Again, it's about the whole person, and our emotions are part of mm-hmm. what it means. And who God has, you know, how God has created us. So, um, you know, I think that that's almost like a good a good reminder for us um, not to ignore that part of who we are as humans um, in the ministry that we do and and the whole experience of of church. Um, all right. Amen, sister. <laughs> and nice job again with the whole just asking him questions and and obviously putting his fears to rest and making him feel at ease and getting him to share his story openly and I thought he just did a nice job of of uh of allowing him to do that. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, I was um I feel like I was drawing on a lot of the conversations we've had on the podcast. It's been a big learning experience for me, I think just doing this every week. Yeah, same here. All the people we've talked to. And um, here's here's what Frank said to wrap things up. So I really appreciate you sharing your story Not with me, Frank. Not a problem. Yeah. I, I actually enjoyed this. Oh, good. <laughs> I really don't talk religion with, with anybody. Mm-hmm. It's just like politics, you know. You avoid it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I do. Yeah. I mean, most people are pretty uncomfortable. But I'm not ashamed to say that I believe in the Lord, though. Yeah. Amen. Me too. Not, not ashamed of that. He actually liked having this conversation as much as it might have been uncomfortable. And I think there are a lot of people out there who also, if given the opportunity to just talk about it, talk about faith, they would be thrilled because it's one of those things that you can't really talk about with yeah. most people. So if you're listening and you're trying to get the guts up to have a conversation with somebody that you know is not particularly religious or faith-filled, just know there might be some surprises and one of those surprises might be that they are just really willing to open up about this and, and, and will enjoy having this conversation with you. Don't, don't see it as something that is going to be combative or immediately negative. Just, yeah, enjoy having the conversation. And Frank, if you're listening, we would love to talk to you again. And if you, <laughs> if you happen to stumble upon this podcast or and listen or, uh, or Whatever. We would love to get your feedback on our feedback, listening to the conversation, as meta as that sounds. We would love to speak to you again. So if you're in the neighborhood, come on by. (laughs) And as always, we are going to ask that you take a minute to go onto iTunes and rate and review us. It um, is just such a helpful thing, both in getting the show out there um, and also in uh, just our general uh, self-esteem, really helpful, um, very important. <laughs> no, but it really is a, a really helpful uh, piece of feedback when you guys do that. And as my son says, peace. Peace. <laughs> Anyways, we will see you guys next time. Alan? Peace. <laughs>